Today we're talking about the truth of trouble. And the reason I have a, a snow scene up is because I want to tell you a little story about somebody who had some trouble on the slopes. This comes from Max Lucado, and I just found it incredibly funny, and so I thought I would share it with you today. Um, you may have heard, he writes, you may have heard about the lady in Colorado who went skiing. Uh, while waiting in line at the ski lift, she realized she was in a dire need of a restroom. Her husband assured her that there would be one at the top of the lift, so she and her bladder bounced their way to the top, only to find there was no facility there. She was about to explode by the time she got there. So her husband said, why not just go in the woods? Since you're wearing an all-white ski outfit, you'd blend in with the snow. What choice did she have? So she skied past the tree line and arranged her ski suit at half-mast. Fortunately, no one could see her. Unfortunately, she had not removed her skis. Before you could say, shine on harvest moon, she was streaking backwards across the slope, revealing more of herself than she ever intended. With arms flailing and skis sailing, she sped under the very lift she'd just ridden up on and collided with a pylon. As she scrambled to cover the essentials, she discovered her arm had been broken. Fortunately, her husband raced to her rescue. He summoned the ski patrol, who transported her to the hospital. And while being treated in the emergency room, a man with a broken leg was carried in and placed next to her. By now, she had regained her composure enough to make small talk. So, how'd you break your leg, she asked. It was the darndest thing you ever saw, he explained. I was riding up on the ski lift, and suddenly, I couldn't believe my eyes. There was this crazy naked woman skiing backwards at top speed. I leaned over to get a better look, and I guess I didn't realize how far I'd moved. I fell out of the ski lift. Then he turned to her and asked, so how'd you break your arm? Well, unfortunately for us, not all of our troubles are that funny. And if we were to be honest today, we'd have to admit that, really, there are more trouble, troubling days ahead. Um, this is some of the oddest times we've ever lived through. I, I can't remember anything like this. And it's not as if, we talk about this a lot at church, there's a seasonality to life. You have good seasons and bad seasons. Just like there's a seasonality, you know, you go from spring to summer to fall to winter. We all live in this constant changing world where things go from one to the other. And so, as collectively, as a group, we're going through a crisis as a country. But even that isn't affecting all of us the same. I was on a Zoom call recently with uh, some business owners in our community. Some of them are struggling because of the, the, the lockdown. Some of them are thriving, actually. It's, it's quite interesting. I talked to some pastors. Again, some churches are thriving. Some churches are struggling. And so even in these troubling times, for some of us, it's more troublesome than for others. Now, today we're going to look at this really, really interesting story. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 6. It deals with trouble and trial and testing. And, and honestly, it's not one of those stories where everything was just perfect. You know, a lot of times you, you see sermons and series and it'll be, you know, the six ways to heal your marriage or the nine things to do if things go wrong. This kind of isn't that particular story. This is where Jesus walks on the water and his disciples are experiencing trouble at that moment. And Jesus makes it right and we're going to see some of those things. But what I like about biblical failures, and these guys, you're going to see, kind of didn't handle this wonderfully. 
What I like about biblical failures is it kind of gives me hope. Um, because I don't always get it right either. And misery does love company. And I kind of like the idea that, well, everybody in the Bible just didn't get this thing right. Now, before we talk about Mark 6, uh, at least the last part of Mark 6, a couple of things happen early on in the book of Mark. And so I want to make sure you understand there's a context to Jesus walking on the water. So a couple of things happen. Let's note one of them. They find out that John the Baptist has been killed. It's really important. This was Jesus' cousin. This was the one, the person who had baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. They had quite a fondness for one another, as far as we can tell. And you realize, those of you who have lost loved ones, know what that's like in the moment. I'll never, ever forget the day I found out my dad died. We were living in Clovis, New Mexico. I was coming back from lunch. I came back to church. It was a Wednesday. Uh, Miriam met me there. She didn't want to call me because she wanted to give me the news in person. She wanted to be there with me when she told me. And I drove up to the parking lot. Miriam was there. Um, she had a serious look on her face. And when she told me that my dad had died of a heart attack, um, I, rem- I just remember I was beside my car. I put my hands in my face. I slid down the side of the car and just sat in the parking lot for a while, just trying to get my mind around it. And I remember going into church, I needed to go into my office and gather a couple of things. And, and as I walked into the office, there was a lady there whose husband was dealing with some medical issues. And I can't remember exactly what they were. I do remember thinking to myself, this really isn't that big a deal when you consider my dad just died. And she, she needed someone uh, to unburden herself with. And so she shared with me this concern and and I did my very, very best to, to pray and, and to care. But the whole time, I'll just be honest with you, it sounds very unpastoral, but it's true. The whole time I'm thinking to myself, well, what about me? I mean, my dad just died, and you're kind of, you're taking away my energy and my emotions, and you're, you're, you're not considering me. Well, Jesus has this moment, and he finds out that John the Baptist has been executed for his belief, for his outspokenness. And I want you to notice what Jesus does in that moment, because I know what I did. I had the opportunity. I know exactly what I did when I was in, in, uh, encountered this trouble. But let's see what Jesus did, because I just was, I kind of went selfish a little bit, honestly. But look, look at Jesus. Look how he handles this. Then Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves. He's talking to his disciples. Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. And one of the things Jesus wanted to do was get away from people because he's just found out about John the Baptist's beheading. And this is obviously troublesome and he wants to grieve and he wants to get alone. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Uh, he needed to get uh, away, to have a moment to grieve. Now, what would your response have been? Uh, I know what mine was when I, someone needed me when I was really grieving. I didn't have anything to give to them. But the crowd shows up and look how Jesus responds. Jesus saw the huge crowd. Now this is just right after he said, let's get away. Let's go be by ourselves. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. One of the things I love about Jesus is that he makes time for us. Our rabbi is never overwhelmed. And overwhelmed is a word 
you hear a lot today. The, one of the reasons we're uh, self-isolating is so that we won't overwhelm the system, uh, the medical system, the hospitals and emergency rooms and et cetera. So we're social distancing to not overwhelm the hospital system. Uh, I hear of parents who are overwhelmed because they are trying to work from home but also teach their kids because they can't go to school. They're overwhelmed by this. I, I hear of and from shopkeepers who are overwhelmed at what they're going to do that they may have to shutter their businesses that they've worked so hard to establish. It, we li- we're living in an overwhelming time, honestly. And, and what, what I want you to know today is Jesus understands what it's like to feel overwhelmed. He just found out this overwhelming news about John the Baptist. He just found out that this man who he loved, his cousin, had died. And it wasn't just a, it was a, a horrible, unexpected death. And yet Jesus took the time to be with his people. Now here's what's interesting to me. Have you ever had a friend that uh, the friendship was sort of all on you? Uh, you're the one that always made contact first. You're the one that noticed you hadn't spoken in a while, so you send a text. You're the one on the birthday that you, know, you call uh, them on their birthday, but they don't call you back. It's sort of a one-sided relationship. Sometimes I wonder if my relationship with Jesus isn't like that. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not keeping up my end of the bargain. He, he's there for me. But I'm not always there for them, uh, for him. Uh, I don't always make my time, make time for him like I should. Our rabbi always has time for us. So the first thing that Jesus did was he, he found out that uh, John was beheaded, but he still served the people. The second thing he did was he fed them. He fed them. They, he sees this crowd. It's getting late in the afternoon. He says to his disciples, hey, let's give them something to eat. They inform Jesus, we can't do that. I mean, it would cost eight months' wages. There's a lot of people here. So Jesus says, well, go see what we have, and we'll see if we can make it work. And so they come back, and they inform him that they have five of these little buns, these little barley loaves. They're not, not a loaf of bread, a little kind of a little, uh, little bun is what it would have been. And two fish, and Jesus takes those. And he prays over it, and he distributes it, and everyone eats. And then we see this text. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of leftover bread and fish. By the way, do you remember how many really close disciples Jesus had? It was 12, right? So each one of them gets a doggy bag from this. It's really super interesting to me in this story. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed these loaves. Jesus does something amazing. Now, uh, let's review. Uh, Jesus is teaching. He finds out John the Baptist has been beheaded. He wants to go and be by himself in order to grieve. Uh, He notices the crowd. They just keep coming. He has compassion on them. He teaches them, and then he feeds them. And that's where we find the story of, that's kind of the preview to the story of Jesus walking on the water. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, and we're going to start with Verse 45. Uh, So the truth about trouble, number one, Jesus faced them too. Look what it says here in Mark 6, 45 and 6. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat. So the after this part is what we just talked about. After he found out John the Baptist had been beheaded, after he had fed the 5,000. Immediately after these things happened, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida uh, while he sent the people home. 
After telling everyone goodbye, he went into the hills by himself to pray. Now, a couple of words I want you to notice here are immediately, and he insisted. that There is an urgency to Jesus' actions. He wants this to happen right away. He literally made the disciples get into the boat. He literally insisted people go home. He wanted this to happen right away, and there's a reason for that. Let me, let me show you this verse. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, feeding the 5,000 is what they're talking about, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. And Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king. I'm just going to be real honest with you. If somebody came and wanted to force me to be the king, I would say, okay, I'll be the king. I mean, really being the king sounds awesome. And so I would think I'd think I'd probably go for that. Not so much Jesus. Now, what had Jesus just done for them? Here's what they're thinking. Um, Jesus can feed us and Jesus can free us. And these are really, really good things. And we want Jesus to do these things. And uh, not only did the crowd want Jesus to be king, his disciples wanted Jesus to be king. And there's a reason for that. If his disciples uh, have Jesus as their king, they get to be the really important people in the kingdom. And so if you attach yourself to someone who is prominent, when they are really prominent, they might bring you along with them. There's a reason Jesus needed to separate his disciples from the crowd. Everybody wanted him to be the king, and he didn't want to be the king the way they thought he should be. So, first thing, Jesus understands problems. The second thing about trouble is, they may not be your fault. Look at what it says in the next couple of verses. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake. And Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. Honestly, you can't always see trouble coming. You don't always see it. Who, who could have seen uh, this COVID-19 thing happening? I mean, in January and February, all I had on my mind was, hey, March is happening and it's going to be great basketball and it's going to be summer and we had camps planned and we have stuff uh, vacations in fact we've got a wedding planned for um, uh, early in May and those plans have been made long ago and so we have all these plans and uh, it was right before Mother's Day and I was going to fly home and be here for Mother's Day and we were going to do baby dedication and all these plans that we had who could see this trouble coming well I would almost guarantee you that when these men got into the boat they certainly didn't know that a storm was coming up. Several of them were fishermen. They would have been able to see the signs. They could have seen the skies. They would have known what was going on. Sometimes you just don't see trouble coming. And one of the funny things to me is, it's much easier to be brave when it's not you. I heard a great story about a woman and, and her husband. They interrupted their vacation. They sort of uh, kind of pushed their way through uh, into a dentist's office they get back to see the dentist, and she says, I need a tooth pulled, I don't want any Novocaine, I don't want any anesthesia, pull it out, let me get on with my life. The dentist was really impressed, and he said, I, I can't believe how brave you are. Show me the tooth. And she looks at her husband and said, honey, show him your tooth. Uh, it's easier to be brave when it's not you. Well, these guys are sailing and Jesus had commanded it. Do you remember that he said he insisted that they get into the boat and start sailing? 
this really runs contrary to some of the things that we think about Jesus. We kind of think that Jesus always wants us to have this sort of easy, calm, smooth sailing life. And really, that's not the truth. Jesus is much more like a coach who is trying to get the best out of us. He's more concerned with our character than he is our comfort. We, in fact, I want to put this on the screen. We are so accustomed to ease that any struggle we feel feels like God's abandoned us. And so here we are in the middle of a struggle and it's as if, well, God's abandoned us. Well, no. God is growing us. In sports, there's an expression, no pain, no gain. Uh, Pain is this amazing motivator. When I have hunger pangs, you know what it does for me? It makes me want to get food. Uh, When I have the pain of not having enough money, it makes me want to get a job or it makes me want to save. When I have the pain of uh, something physical in my life, like my foot hurts or my arm hurts or something, if it's severe enough and it doesn't go away, uh, that pain causes me to make a change. I'll go to see the doctor. Pain, though unpleasant, is a strong motivator. C.S. Lewis, I love this quote, wrote about God. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. He shouts to us in our pain. Pain, he said, is a megaphone to rouse the deaf world. We live in a society where we are constantly making things easier. Think about it. We're not many years away from self-driving cars. Cars will drive themselves. That will make it easier. We have robots now that uh, will vacuum our floors. That makes things easier. We have fast food. We don't even have to cook if we don't want to. We can go get fast food pretty much any time of day, at least someplace, is open. We have automatic withdrawal. We don't even have to remember to pay our bills anymore. We just set up automatic withdrawal. Everything just gets easier and easier and easier. Miriam told me about a couple of our friends, uh, Betty and Frank. Uh, she reminded me that, or she told me that Betty had been teaching Frank how to do some of the domestic things around the house, how to cook and clean and wash and do some of those things. And, and then she said, Betty did this for Frank because she wanted Frank to know what to do if she were gone. And then she kind of seriously looked at me and she said, Honey, what would you do if I was gone? I said, Well, I'd go live with Frank because uh, he, know, he knows it all now. It's what I would do. Sometimes our struggles are brought on by ourselves. Don't don't get me wrong, but not every struggle is my fault. If you smoke three packs a day for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years, you might get lung cancer. It sort of kind of might happen. There are things, if you uh, continuously overeat, you you might get uh, diabetes. Uh, There might be some complications uh, medically for you. If you jump out of an airplane without a parachute, that really is not going to probably end well for you. Some stuff is our fault, but some stuff isn't. I had a heart attack at age 40. Now, my dad had died the year before from a heart attack. Uh, My first cousin died the year after from a heart attack. Come to find out, that's a genetic thing. I didn't ask for it. It's not something that I would have prayed for. It's just a reality. I've got an issue with my heart that I I take care of. I I take medication. I, I walk a ton I'm really getting a lot of walks in now because uh, I don't have anything to go to after work. I I go home and I walk. Uh, So I'm getting miles and miles and miles in of walking. It's really good for us, you know, to do these things. Here's what I know about the Lord. Let's look at this scripture. The Bible tells us, and we know that in all things, if you want to circle that or highlight in your Bible, in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His 
good purpose. I'd rather not have heart condition, but I do. I'd rather for us not to be going through this, this pandemic, but we are. And so what is God going to teach us through this? Uh, in all things, everything, uh, God can work these things for our good. He's teaching us. We go through difficult times. Remember, no pain, no gain. We go through difficult times to teach us something. The third thing that I want you to notice is about trouble, the truth about trouble, is that Jesus can overcome them. Now, this is a super interesting text. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. This has always bothered me, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. That's always confused me a little bit. Why would Jesus intend to walk past them? Honestly, it felt... A little hypocritical to me. Jesus is always saying, hey, if you see somebody in need, you help them. Uh, help people that uh, are uh, struggling. Well, these guys are struggling. And Jesus was just going to walk past? It makes no sense to me unless you know the complete story. There are two other times in Scripture where God passes somebody. It uses the same kind of language, that God passes people. One of them I'll show them both to you here. One of them is Exodus 34, 6. That's with Moses. God passes in front of Moses. The other is the prophet Elijah. Let's set the stage for the Moses text, and then we'll read it. Moses has encountered this burning bush. Uh, the voice from the burning bush, which is God speaking to him, says, I want you to deliver my people. Moses is scared out of his mind. He is really scared, and he needs God. He says, hey, who should I say has sent me? I want to see you. And so God says, you can't see my face, but I'll pass by. Look at the text. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And then we have Elijah. Elijah was just about to, um, to, to enter into this season where uh, he defeats all these uh, these pro false prophets on Mount Carmel. And he does all these things and... Uh, Jezebel and, and King, uh, uh, King Ahab, are, they're trying to, to, trying to find him and get him. And, and, and so he's a wanted man. He's a fugitive, and he's a little bit scared. Moses was scared. Elijah was scared. And he wants to see God, and, and God kind of hides him in what in the old school language was in the cleft of a rock. And then in the cleft of the rock, he sees this wind, and he sees this fire. And then there's this still, small voice. Now let's look at this text. And the, the voice, God says to Elijah, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And the Lord told him, and as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. We have three events. They're called theophanies, where God reveals himself to man. Uh, Moses was scared and needed encouragement. Elijah was scared and needed encouragement. And here we have Jesus' disciples who are scared and need encouragement each time God had to get their attention with Moses it was a burning bush with Elijah it was fire and wind and here these disciples there's a storm and in the storm God is saying I need you to look to me what, what did Jesus say let's look at it one more time Jesus spoke to them and said do not be afraid take courage I am here I am here same language that 
God used, I am that I am. It's no coincidence that God uh, spoke these words and that Jesus quoted those words. What we need to know when we're in trouble is that God is with us. Uh, when I had my heart attack, let me go back to it one more time. Uh, this is the last time I talk about it, I promise. When I had my heart attack, I needed Miriam in the room. I needed her with me. I wanted to know she was close. It's one of the things about this pandemic that really bothers me is that people can't be with one another when they're in physical need. It, it's heartbreaking because we need that touch. I can't wait to get back together. And, and I'm hoping that uh, someday we can uh, hug again because I don't know that even when we get back together next time we're going to be able to hug again. Someday, however, we're going to get to hug again. I can't wait to hug again. And I needed Miriam with me when I had my heart attack, but I also needed to know one thing. I needed to know God was with me. He's always with us. Which leads me to one last thing. And I'm going to end, and it's not on a high note, honestly, but let me show you the fourth thing. The truth about trouble, number four, is troubles can cause doubt. Look at what it says in 51 and 52 of Mark 6. Then he climbed into the boat, Jesus that is, climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped, and they were amazed. For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. <laughs> these baskets of loaves would still be in the boat, by the way. And their hearts were too hard to take it in. They just didn't get it. And sometimes we don't get it. And we're in the middle of trouble and we just don't get it. And our hearts can become hardened. Uh, trouble has an interesting way of pushing us toward God, toward God or away from God. It's, they're like a watershed. I'm going to go one way or the other. I'm going to get closer or I'm going to get further away. Well, let me show you a picture. This is Corey and Betsy Tinboom. You probably know them. Um, Corey Tinboom wrote a book called The Hiding Place. It became a great movie. Um, these women were imprisoned at Ravensbrück, one of the worst concentration camps in Germany during World War II. Their bunkhouse was infested with fleas and lice. And whenever you would go into the bunkhouse from what they write, uh, the fleas and the lice would just swarm. Now, uh, Corey and Becky, they had, uh, Betsy, I'm sorry, had, had smuggled a Bible into their bunkhouse. Now, they knew that if a guard found the Bible or if they found them conducting a service, that they would immediately be executed. It, there was no question. There would not be a trial. They would be carried out and summarily executed. They understood this. So, when they initially began to have little worship services or Bible studies in their bunkhouses, they were very timid. But the guards never came into the bunkhouses. They, they never checked on them. So they became more and more bold because they weren't being checked on. And they prayed for the fleas to go away and the lice to go away. And yet the reason that the guards weren't coming in was because of the fleas and the lice. See, there's a biblical principle that really we must understand. It's from Isaiah 55. My thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. And if we were in charge, we might do it differently. But God knows better than us. And I, I have faith that God knows better than us. I find it interesting, that, that text. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. Let's end with this question. What's the condition of your heart today? Is it hardened? I mean, are all these things causing you to be scared? Uh, it's okay to be scared. I think most of us are at least wondering. We shouldn't be scared of death because we don't have to be. Uh, 
God has given us assurances. Jesus has said that he's going to prepare a place for us. Now, all of us are going to die sometime. If we're scared now, when this is over, we're still going to be scared because death is coming for all of us. So what's the condition of your heart? Uh, maybe it's hardened toward the Lord. And I would encourage you, ask the question of yourself, why is that? Why is my heart hardened? The second question I would ask is, what can I do to soften it? I heard a great story about a, a man and he was so devastated by uh, troubles in his life that he told his dad, he said, Daddy, I, I just have lost my faith. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. And his dad, in his wisdom, said, Son, you don't have to know how to pray. You just don't have to know how to groan. Just express your pain to God. He, he was talking about this verse in Romans eight twenty six, And this will be the last one we look at. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example... We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. I don't know why the pandemic came. I, I don't know when it's going to leave. I don't know when we're going to get back together again. I wish I could tell you. Uh, I know it'll be, it, we're one Sunday closer than we were last Sunday. Um, there's a reason, and I believe God has a reason, and I'm looking for those reasons. I, I know this. Um, I'm noticing beauty more than I've ever before. I'm praying for my president like I've never done before. And our leaders, really, I've never done that. Now I'm kind of doing that a lot. In fact, every night we pray for uh, our leaders. We're praying for people who have needs more, honestly, than we've ever done before. Because now they're kind of, we have needs too. We sort of feel it more than we've ever felt it before. When you're in the middle of something together, uh, it's more real to you. And so it's more real to us. I don't know the whys of all these things. I just know that Jesus experienced troubles too. He went to the cross for us. He's with us. He always makes time for us. So on these walks I talked about before, I'm listening to books and every once in a while something will strike me and I'll turn my book off and I'll pray while I walk because it's a great opportunity. I'm alone with God. If you're not spending time alone right now with the Lord, let me encourage you to do that. I know we are entertainment-driven. I get that. But sit on your back porch or sit in your room and turn everything off and just take some time. you got time. can't go anywhere. Take some time to be alone with the Lord. Let, let me pray for us, and then I'll make a couple of announcements, and um, uh, we'll be dismissed. I'm going to pray for our country. I'm going to pray for you. Um, just know we miss you, and we can't wait to get back together again. Lord, thank you for this lesson today. I pray that we might take it to heart, not to be overly discouraged. You're with us. And even though we're scared sometimes, we know that you're, none of this catches you by surprise and you're not scared. And there's a reason. And show that to us and help us to become better people through all this. We pray for our leaders. We ask that you give them great wisdom. Help them to know when and what to do uh, that we might you know, kind of get back to some sense of normalcy soon. We love our church. We thank you for, um, Lord, the absence does make the heart grow fonder. And I thank you for this absence because it's just making us want to be together more than we've ever wanted to be together before. Thank you for that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.